dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Of all the kings in the Old Testament, King Solomon stands apart. His reign was stupendous. His wisdom, very deep. His success by worldly standards was unparalleled. And yet he fell, and he fell mightily. What can we learn from his example? An example of a talented man, extremely wise and extremely successful, but whose lack of virtue gets the better of him. Thanks, everybody, and welcome back to this class we're doing uh, on the way that leaders fail. And again, I hate actually speaking about it like that because no one wants to talk about where leaders fail. And as a matter of fact, you could almost say, what's the point in looking at that? We have enough negativity in our lives. The last thing we need to do is read how these great biblical figures had you know, a, a negative flip side to them, right? And I agree with you. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think that we need to always look as God looks at things and always look at the heroes in the Bible as exactly what they are, absolute heroes. What amazes me, though, is that when God writes their stories, he doesn't hesitate to put in there where they failed or when they failed. Whereas for most of you, when you look at your lives, you say, if I have an ounce of failure, somehow or other, I'm terrible. And you discount the great things that you can do because of the ways that you may have failed or that you may have struggled or, or that you may have just messed up. There's a lot of people that once they mess up, they kind of say, there's no redemption. There's no way forward. I'm just going to sulk for the rest of my life and, or blame people or deny that I messed up and, and live this kind of this falsehood of an absolute perfection. I think that God actually can write straight with crooked lines. And what we find in the Bible are some of the most stupendous people that are in here actually had negative flip sides to them where things would, that they, their very source of their greatness became actually part of their downfall. And what I love about this also is that it means that their downfall is not final. You know, their downfall from influential leadership in the reigns that they had or in the areas that they had or their downfall from living a perfect life. The fact that these amazing people who did great things for God actually had struggles and had dark sides to them as well at times actually can give us a lot of hope because it means that our own dark sides that we see when we become a leader and even the real consequences that come because of our downfalls can all be redeemed by God. He can still use us in his great story of salvation. We must never give up, and especially we must never allow ourselves to stop leading just because we've convinced ourselves that we're out of this whole thing called leadership. We should never be there anyway. Because in the Bible, God both calls these people to lead 
and then in their leadership lets them encounter their own need for redemption and asks them to keep leading anyway. It's, it's an amazing thought. It's an amazing thought that redemption and the salvation of your soul could actually come through the exact leadership that seems to prove to you that you need it the most. I'd actually say it's actually really smart on the, on the part of God, very wise, right? To actually say, I'm going to ask you to do something that will convince you of your need for me. I don't know many parents who take their parenting seriously, leading their family, who think that they've done it perfectly and who don't say, you know what? At the end of my life, I need to ask my children for forgiveness for this or that. My spouse for forgiveness for this or that, right? And yet you'd say, if I hadn't been married, if I didn't have children, I wouldn't have had these problems. I wouldn't have done this. It would have been better for me to never have led and I'd just like to correct you that. No, that's not what God shows us in his word. He calls people into leadership. He gives people this role of leadership. And that sometimes that role of leadership does not turn out well. Sometimes it turns out mixed. Rarely does it turn out extremely you know, well or even anything we'd call perfect. And yet God calls them into that. Why? Because as you encounter that challenge, so you can reach out to your Redeemer. And I think that's exactly what you're trying to do here with this at the St. John Institute. You know, we, we're trying to help you to bring your faith into your business and your business into your faith so that you can be sanctified by what you're doing, right? So before we dive into Solomon, I can't wait. It says in 1 Kings 3, you know, all the way through, you know, 1 Kings 11. And I just can't wait to actually get into to this great king. But before we do that, let's say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, Grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, first of all, King Solomon. Who was this guy? His story begins in 1 Kings chapter 2 with the death of David. And it extends basically through 1 Kings chapter 11. Okay, so nine whole chapters in the book of Kings. There's a lot of details in here. But the first thing I want to show is that his reign is not clearly established at the beginning. And it's only after he puts his enemies to death that he actually secures his reign. Isn't this already just kind of one I don't know, challenge for us in accepting his greatness. But it's also interesting to see that not even for someone like King Solomon was authority just given to him. He had to fight his way through to do what he believed God had wanted for him, which was that he would be the king. It just seems like nothing is really easy in life, including taking over the role that you're supposed to have. He has all kinds of enemies that he has to put underneath his feet before he can move forward. And it's finally in 1 Kings chapter 3 that it says, well, the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. And he has an experience in prayer where God asks him to ask God for anything. And Solomon has the, the wisdom, the foresight, 
the also the depth of soul to give an answer which has remained throughout the centuries, something that we know him for. He prayed that God would give him a listening heart so that he could discern between what is good and evil and lead the people of God well. In other words, the thing that Solomon wanted more than anything else was to be a good king, a good ruler. I think that's amazing, especially for you who are here because you're here in order to become good rulers. And sometimes we think to ourselves, there's no such thing as a good ruler, right? Basically, if you have power, if you have position in society, you must be doing something wrong, right? Because Christ is with the poor and loves the poor and anyone who's powerful, he doesn't love. But that's simply not true. And we have to banish that from our thoughts. Obviously, Christ takes a stance with the poor. He's identified himself with the poor. But there were many followers of Christ who were wealthy and powerful citizens of his day. And he pronounced the gospel to them as well. And they also accepted the gospel. St. Paul, for example, was a learned man who had studied at the best schools in all of Israel. He was a powerful man who had risen up the ranks to becoming the, the main soldier, for example, of the high priest as he was sent out to arrest these Christians. He was, I mean, it's, a, it's like a fallacy that we have today to say that greatness is antithetical to Christianity. It's a complete falsehood because it's anti-biblical. King Solomon was asked by God to rule. And Solomon prayed, and he had one chance to ask for anything he wanted in 1 Kings 3, and he actually asks for wisdom. He asked that God give him a listening heart. God was so pleased with what he asked that he ended up giving him riches and honor besides. So he had everything that he would need to rule well. If you have a listening heart, if you have wisdom, if you have sanctity, then there's nothing wrong with having power. As a matter of fact, wouldn't we want our people in positions of power to be saints? Isn't this the whole goal anyway of Christianity? Is it, or are we supposed to just walk around forever saying that we're consigned to the backwaters of history and that culture is not supposed to be led by us? I don't think that's what Jesus said when he said, let your light shine before men so that they might see the good that you do and give glory to God your Father. Well, that means that we have to step up just like King Solomon did even though in stepping up, we're going to all see the big downside that comes as well. This is Father Nathan. Are you thinking of starting your own business or even better, thinking of starting your own ministry of some sort? As we know, success is not going to be determined solely upon spirituality. It also needs training, networking, understanding, and true leadership. This is why we started the St. John Leadership Institute in Denver, Colorado. Join our class this fall and start your business or your ministry on the right foot. Find out more on our website, stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. So first of all, let's start talking about the great things that Solomon did. Uh, he united the kingdom and he divided it brilliantly into the different zones, 12 different states, so to speak, that he then taxed. And he taxed them in a way that was fair. Every state once a month, so it was 12 of them, 12 months in a year, would have to give to support the government. And that everyone thought was very fair. So he had the king's house and he had the government and the administration of the government. But then he put leaders in charge of those 12 states. This hadn't been done before. He secured peace, whereas his father David was going around in war after war after war, 
Solomon reigned in a period of peace, and he actually secured that peace by treaties with these other governments. So he was a diplomat, constantly entertaining people of other states, working on trade agreements. He used trade in order to establish peace as his, one of his main tools. Um, by financial dependency, war is you know downplayed. So that's, that's a brilliant thing. He ruled the people with an incredible amount of justice. We know that famous story of the two women who are arguing over the baby and which one actually is the true mother of the baby. And King Solomon says, if you cut the baby in two, you can both take some. And of course, the real mother says, let the baby live. And the other mother says, that's fine because then none of us will have them, you know. And that's seen as great wisdom. The Queen of Sheba comes all the way to eat from Ethiopia to view his wisdom, hear his wisdom and view his success. And she's blown away. She said, you know what? I thought I came all the way from Sheba because of what I heard, but what I have seen and experienced here surpasses even what I had heard of you down in Ethiopia. So when the, the Bible gives us some details here of King Solomon's uh, success in 1 Kings 4, verse 20 through verse 34, you know, just some examples of that. He says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. Right, so, of course, what does that remind us of? It's saying that the, the promise that God made to Abraham has been fulfilled now in the reign of Solomon. Not in the reign of David, although David had many things that were great. But here it's in the reign of Solomon. There were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Whoa. <laughs> now, that's quite a feat, right? You wish your employees could say the same thing, right? You could say, and then now that you're there, you know, the CEO, new management has come in and the people eat and drink and are happy, right? It's just be amazing. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now, that's an important detail because modern-day Israel doesn't extend all the way to the Euphrates. And so here, it's actually the ideal land that was promised to Abraham finds its fulfillment reigned over in one unified kingdom by King Solomon, and, and everybody's paying him tribute. It's a peaceful, successful reign. And it gives us some more details in verse 22. It says, Solomon's provision for one day one day, 180 bushels of fine flour and 180 bushels of cornmeal, 10 fat oxen, 10 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep, beside deer, gazelle, roebucks, and fat and fowl. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates from Tipsa to Gaza and over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, even under his vine, under his fig tree, all the days of Solomon. Now look at this one. So, if you don't think that's enough, it goes on to talk about his prosperity. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Just think about that. Now we know sometimes these numbers in the Bibles don't mean exactly the same thing as they do today, but like no one really knows. What it's saying is that he had a huge, vast amount of horses, 40,000 stalls. 
Just imagine how much hay that was. Imagine how much care that how many people were working for him. No wonder they were eating all of that fine flour and, and all of those, those uh, cows that were being slaughtered for them. They let nothing be lacking. Those officers supplied provision for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table, each one in his month. Barley also and straw for the horses and swift steeds they brought to the place where they had required each according to his duty. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, the breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrite and Heman, Kelkol and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs. Of course, that's the book of Proverbs. And his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of the beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. All people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. I mean, this is an incredible success. It outlines for you economic success. It outlines for you international success. It outlines for you political success. It outlines for you high taste, artistic success. And then on the inside, to have a mind so wise and with knowledge about so many things that literally the Bible just said he was the smartest man in the world at his time. And he was acclaimed to be such. He must have been so incredibly powerful because with all of those things and all of those resources and such an internal mind, everyone would have been going towards Solomon to become his friend. You can only imagine how that would have been. And Solomon received them, judged them, ruled. He was really an apex figure here in the Middle East and, and in his time. And so you could say, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and there, my friends is the other side of the story. You, it's amazing because if you notice, all of these successes, the, the one thing it doesn't say Solomon was good at and where Solomon shone was in his moral life. In other words, he had all of the brains, all of the wisdom. He knew so much about building. Solomon built the temple. I, I forgot to, I left that out a little bit earlier. But I mean, like one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was a temple in Jerusalem and Solomon built it himself and he built a royal palace at the same time in conjunction with, it took seven years to build it. So you can, again, just imagine like how, how much knowledge he must have had about building and management and, and the economy and the budgets and how busy his life must have been. And all at the same time, he's walking around speaking 3,000 Proverbs and writing 1,005 songs. This is an amazing guy, right? And yet he falls. And he falls drastically. Because for all of his intellectual virtue, for all of the strength of his mind, he neglected to strengthen his character. And this is something we can all write down. You might be a flash in the pan. You might be successful instantly in your life in many things. But if you do not have moral character, moral fiber around not just knowing what you want and knowing how to get it, but wanting to get the right things, 
then you will fall like Solomon. Half of our life is not in our ability to dominate the world. Half of our life is in our ability to dominate ourselves. And for all that Solomon had and all of his wisdom, he lacked the ability to control his basic appetites, the deep down longings of his heart, his emotionality, and his personal relationships. And in the end, this is really what's going to trip him up. This is Father Nathan. I know that there are many ways to learn leadership, that there's many great methods out there that are even put forth by Catholics. But here at the St. John Leadership Institute, we actually have a unique way of forming leaders. It's called Audeo. That's Latin for I dare. At our campus in Denver, Catholics can learn an authentically Catholic way to become a leader. Check us out on our website, stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. All right, so once again, I don't like pointing out where our, our saints and our great heroes in the Bible, you know, f- have a backside or, or where they fell. I don't think that that's really the most helpful thing for us, but it's, it is good from time to time just to take a look at it because, again, it can help us to avoid the same thing. And it's also an amazing fact that God wrote it down for us to read. And the fall of Solomon is a sad thing, of course. He builds a temple. I mean, the temple's incredible. It's laden in gold. It's got the finest fabrics. There's all this brickwork done. It still stands to this day. I mean, like it's been ripped down in Jerusalem. to But you have the wall of Solomon, which is still there, the wailing wall. And the foundations of the temple are still there 3,000 years ago. There's waiting to be rebuilt. Okay, so he, he knew what he was doing. And Solomon's palace was built. It's just, that's amazing. It's all in 1 Kings 5, 6, and 7. The ark is brought in. So of course, God blesses Solomon. That's in 1 Kings 8. Solomon dedicates the temple, you know, and makes this amazing prayer. The guy is just, he's loved by God, loved by men, loved by all, and he knows how to rule. The problem is here, he doesn't know how to rule himself. His own desires and appetites get away from him. It is not enough, my friends, for you to know many things. It is not enough for you to be a savvy and dedicated leader in this world in a worldly way. Christ is not calling upon people to be pure instruments for material success. He's calling upon us to lead from the inside to lead from character, to lead from a moral position that says, I know that the deep reason that I'm engaging in all this leadership and all this effort is because I want to inspire the human spirit much more than I want to provide prosperity. And of course, it's the, it's the easy slip up because if you are smart and you are hardworking and you come to work on time and you do all the things right, you will be successful in this world. And being successful is a wonderful thing, but you will, might be successful on the outside, but not on the inside. I want you to be successful on the inside. God wants you to be successful on the inside, right? And, and without, you know, so of course, do your best to be successful on the outside. Why not? But don't think for a second that you're going to be able to bear the weight of material success without the strength of soul that allows you to bear it. If you are wealthy and you have all kinds of potential out there, 
God bless you. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, it's a wonderful thing. It's a blessing for you. And it's an ability for you to bless others. This is great. But be careful at the same time. Because exterior wealth and possession and power need to be borne by a commensurate interior strength. And that's exactly what Solomon lacked. If you take a look, for example, here at Solomon in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, uh, the Queen of Sheba comes, and then in chapter 11, Solomon turns from the Lord. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountains east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to the gods. What a downfall. The downfall begins with lust, right? And he clung to them in love, right? It wasn't a charitable love of self-giving. It would have been a selfish love. He clung to them in love. He wouldn't let them go. Even though God had said no, Solomon's own lust wasn't under control. And because of the lust of his body, his heart turned away from God. Lust has a way and an appetite of eating away our inner strength. Solomon allowed his inner resolve to fade away and he turned his heart finally into a worshiping foreign gods, building places to sacrifice to them. He lost his focus and his drive. Remember this is such a great lesson that the, the amazing success that we have on the outside can sometimes turn around to confuse us and take us away from the true goal. It's almost like what we have to always remember what our Lord told us. What profiteth a man to gain the whole world if he loses his only soul? It's just a great lesson for all of us as we teach our children how to be successful, to first give them that moral fiber of choosing to do what's right and being faithful to God. And then, should God will it, the ability to wield success correctly. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.